I've had a particularly busy start to the year this year. I found myself in the Middle East at the start of the year, and so I was uh, a month in the Middle East, and um, God sovereignly arranged for us to be in the nation of Israel for the first time, and uh, traveling on a two-week tour with uh, 26 unconverted Aussie Jews. (laughs) So we were the only um, Messianic believers, but we were Kiwis in the midst of 26 unsaved Aussie Jews. Can you imagine that? Uh, so we, we, we ribbed, we jived, we got close to each other, and uh, we were able to pray for a number of them uh, on our trip. They just could not figure out why a Christian pastor would want to travel with unconverted Australian Jews. Uh, but God arranged it, and we, we had a fantastic time. A month later, I was in uh, Nepal for the first time, sitting under the Himalayas with, uh, with 500 Nepalese pastors from 29 tribes in the Himalayas that came together for four days of wind and fire of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and God challenged me, and, and I just want to just bring this to you because it's not part of my word today, but God challenged me. He said, James, he said, you remember when I said some things don't come out but by prayer and fasting? He said, there's a lot of things that won't happen in your ministry unless you're prepared to pray and fast. And uh, over the years, I've done fasting on a regular, sometimes a regular basis, and the Lord really challenged me. He spoke to me out of Isaiah 58 that the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard when you do a fast that's chosen by him. And, uh, and so in that whole week, so God said, I want you to fast this week. I want you to fast while you're on the mission field. I want you to fast while you're ministering. And if anyone knows what it's like to be giving out in Asia, it's a, it's a real challenge to even give out when you're eating, let alone when you're fasting. So I did that, and God moved powerfully, and we saw 60% of those pastors filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues for the first time. And some of them had 200 churches, one pastor. So we had 500 pastors, one pastor that was there who got touched by the Holy Spirit had 200 churches underneath his leadership. And he hasn't even got the Holy Ghost moving in his life yet. You imagine what kind of thing's going to take place after that. And then I came back for two weeks, and then I was in India for two weeks. So by the time April hit, I'd spent eight weeks of the year in other nations around the world. And, uh, and the Lord challenged me to do exactly the same thing, except I was in southern India in intense heat. And the Lord said, I want you to fast until you get the breakthrough. And, uh, and so the breakthrough came where we were introduced in a village, in, in a church made of cardboard uh, with, no, with a dirt floor, very humble little place uh, with a brand new church that was right next to a large Hindu temple. And, uh, and if you know anything about India, the persecution amongst Christians is very, very bad. In India right now, they have a very militant Hindu government. And so Christians are being persecuted right across the nation of India. And a, a man came into the meeting with an elephant foot. And, uh, and um, we got explained when we prayed for him at the end of the meeting that 20 years ago he got bitten by a black cobra. Many, many people die of cobra uh, snake bites uh, in rural parts of India because they can't get anywhere near an antidote. They need to get near an antidote within an hour or they're dead. So they got near, they got, got him near just on the hour, but the poison had already seeped into his body. And so for 20 years, he hasn't been able to walk. 
because the poison got into his bones and his leg. And uh, so I had two young, six-month-old Christians that I took with me, young 20, early 20s, took with me, super immature in the Lord. They'll acknowledge that. You know, I had, I had them fighting over T-shirts and all sorts of things, and <laughs> next minute they're laying hands on the sick and miracles are happening. You know, it's not by works we see these things happen. It's by grace. And... Um, and, uh, and as we went away, one of the young guys said to me, I really feel that God healed him, but we'll never know. And I said, oh, no, we'll know. They've got mobile phones now. We'll know. <laughs> so the next day, we got a call. The pastor got a call as we were traveling to another rural part of India. And, um, and he just turned to me with this massive smile. And he said, you know the guy that you prayed for yesterday? For the first time in 20 years, he walked yesterday. When you left the meeting, he walked out of the meeting. For the first time in 20 years, he's had no pain in his leg. Just glory to God, glory to God. But I'm just telling you this because there's an aspect that I'm discovering in my walk with the Lord now where the Holy Spirit is wanting cooperation with us. And sometimes those things cost us. And, uh, and, there's, a, and there's an element of obedience in our walk with Jesus that will deliver supernatural results. It's not by works, but it's by obedience that we'll see these things take place. Just last week uh, in our church, I gave one of our ladies that we're really particularly fond of. She was a world amateur bodybuilding champion. And, uh, and Viv and I, really, we've come to really love her. She's, she's really rough around the edges. And um, she, one of her sons plays in the NRL. And, uh, and, and she winced when I went to give her a hug. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, I've got all these cancers that have appeared all over my body. It's melanoma. And um, she said, they want me to do chemotherapy and radiation treatment. And she said, but I, I, I don't want to do it. And, um, and I got so mad in my spirit, I got incensed that the devil had attacked her like this. And so the Lord said, I want you to fast for her this week, and then I want you to go and anoint her with oil at the end of the week. So Viv and I went at the end of the week, and we, we dialed down with her, we prayed with her, we anointed her with oil on the Friday. On the Saturday morning, she sent me a text because she showed me this huge melanoma that was on her bicep. And she said, I woke, I woke up this morning, Pastor James, and I looked at my arm, and there was nothing on there. It literally dissolved overnight, and I had the best night's sleep that I've had for the last six months. Isn't God good? Give the Lord a hand today. Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do in my name, because I'm going to be with the Father. Amen. He couldn't be everywhere at once, so he sent the Holy Spirit. He placed the Holy Spirit within our lives, and he said, now go and do the works that I've done, except greater works than these are you going to do. Do you believe that today, church? You know, the world is not going to be impressed by our words and our creeds, but they will be impressed by our supernatural deeds. Amen. And, and we, we, we need to, because the gospel, is, uh, the gospel is supposed to be not in word only, but in demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. We're carriers, as we've been singing this morning, we're carriers of revival. We're carriers of the power of God. And the power of God wants to break out of us. And when we discover who we are and that we're treasures of clay that's carrying incredible supernatural power, then by faith as we release that to a world that's in hurting and in pain, then you will see. How many of you have seen The Shack, the movie The Shack? Okay, there's probably 10 or 12 of you that have seen. Can I just encourage you 
There's a lot of controversy about the book, but I want to encourage you, if you've had any trauma or any pain within your life, or if you just want to go to a fantastic movie that will demonstrate intimacy with God like I've never seen on the silver screen at any time in my lifetime, I want to encourage you to get to the shack before the movie comes off the screens in New Zealand. It is by far the best Christian movie I have ever seen, and every single person that was in the theater when we went was sobbing in tears. Every single, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And the reason why I say that to you is that it's a movie that talks about how Jesus can heal our pain. And it, the movie also demonstrates the Trinity like I've never seen it anywhere before. The Trinity in action and intimacy with God is the message that you'll come away from that movie. So I just want to share that with you today, all right? Because I want it to be a blessing to you. I know time has moved on this morning. What time are we finishing, Greg? When, when I finish. Okay, all right. Well, I really need help to bring this word to you today because it's, um, I've sweated over this word and, uh, and I really need God's help to, to communicate this message. So, Jesus, I thank you for this house. I thank you, Lord. What a name, the rock. It symbolizes so much. And scripture, and Lord, the very work that you've been doing in this place is a supernatural work by the Spirit. And I pray today, Lord, that I'd have the courage to bring what you've showed me, that I'd have the courage to deliver this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray today, Lord, that you would help me in this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you have a Bible, but on screen, we've inserted a scripture uh, this morning. The first verse I want to show you is a verse from 2 John 8. 2 John. 2 John only has one chapter, verse 8 on the screen. Now, before we read this, I want you to remind you, this is the apostle that was banished to the Isle of Patmos. This is the great apostle John who saw... The book of Revelation unfolding. This is the same apostle as a young man as Christ is hanging, dying on the cross, that says to him, Here is your mother, Mama, that here is your son. This is the apostle that the scripture says, whom uh, Jesus loved, who leant on the breast of Christ. Have we got a picture here? This is the apostle, in fact, this is the apostle in whom uh, out of the top three, apostles out of the 12 that spent more time with Jesus than any of the other apostles. In other words, Jesus gave John, uh, James, John, and Peter greater access and intimacy than the other nine that were there. Are you with me? They were with Christ at the transfiguration. They had access to Christ that was given to them more than others. They had an intimacy with God, and the apostle John clearly was a man who was motivated by love. He was motivated. He was an apostle in which you could say, he loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But let's read this verse because this verse is an interesting verse written by such an apostle. Watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. What are we watching out for? That you do not lose... What we have worked for, oh my gosh, worked for? I thought this was all about just receiving. Watch out that we do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. 
that you may be rewarded fully. He's talking to the church, the early church. The audience are Christians. And he's saying, watch out, guys, that what you have gained in your walk with Jesus Christ is not lost because I want you to experience a full reward. You mean there's rewards in heaven? You mean that we don't all get an equal opportunity in heaven? I thought we were all going to sit around on cloud nine, playing our harps for a gazillion years, sitting, rolling back in our lazy boys, and then just enjoying the presence of God. Friends, that, that picture could not be any further from the truth. And what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about living in the light of eternity today because of what you understand eternity to be. That you will not lose the full reward. In other words, there are rewards to be won in eternity and there are rewards to be lost. Because clearly this verse says you can lose what you've gained. Oh, this is sounding like a gospel of works the more you get into this, James. What about we're saved by grace through faith? Well, we'll get into that. So Luke 19, the, the disciples are on their road, on their way from Jericho up to Jerusalem for the Passion Week. This is the Holy Week. I've been on that road now. I can actually visualize what it's like. Everywhere you approach in Israel, Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an elevated city. We entered through Tel Aviv uh, at the beginning of the year, and Tel Aviv's a beautiful, uh, sun-soaked coastal city on the Mediterranean, and it's only 45 minutes by bus to Jerusalem, but the temperature will be lowered by three to four degrees from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is an elevated city. So they're on their way up to Jerusalem, and you see, they had, they'd all known the Old Testament prophecies about the place of the Messiah and that the Messiah would come and he would place his feet on the Mount of Olives and he would set up his eternal kingdom. And they'd all read the prophet Daniel, where uh, the Messiah is known as the title, the Son of Man, in the book of Daniel. Jesus was calling himself the Son of Man. There was no doubt in their minds that the identity of the one that was walking with them up to Jerusalem was none other than the promised Messiah. Are we all on the same page here? They understand his identity, and they're heading up. But they've got flawed thinking. And here's their thinking in verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, Jesus spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought, they thought the kingdom of God would appear, just together, immediately. So they they had a mindset that the kingdom was going to come right here, right now, that Jesus was going to set up this eternal kingdom And the reign of Christ would happen. The reign of the anointed one would be taking place right here and right now. So Jesus said, I've got to correct their thinking. 
They're thinking only with present-day thinking. They're not thinking about the future. They don't understand what I'm about to do. They don't understand this kingdom fully. So I've got to explain a story to them. I'm going to give them a story that's a parable. And a parable is a story that illustrates spiritual truths. And these truths are deep truths. And when Christ wanted to teach a spiritual truth... He didn't do it in a complex, complicated way. He just told a simple story that's loaded with spiritual truth. So here is what we know as the parable of the ten minas. And he gives them a perspective in the story where he describes himself as the nobleman. The nobleman who is about to go away from his people to receive a kingdom. But he said, I'm going to come back. And right now, as we read that, we're about to read this parable together, understand that in history, we are right now at the period of time where the nobleman has disappeared from the place, but Jesus is coming back again. The second return of Christ will take place, but in his absence, he's given his servants things to do. Remember that first verse, the things that we have worked for? He's given us things to do in his absence, and he made it very clear that when he returns, he's going to come back and find out what sort of things have you been doing. That's called accountability. That's a very scary word for most of us Christians. We would rather live free and easy without any accountability. So verse 12 of Luke 19, Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. What's the purpose of him going away? The purpose is to receive the kingdom, and which he will then return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, By the way, a mina is estimated to be three months' wages. One mina. So this is a fair, hefty sum that he's given to these guys all at once. This is a bit like receiving your parents' inheritance all at once. And he says, uh, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, this speaks of the rejection of the Jews towards Christ, and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Notice the expectation. Then came the first saying, Master, your minute has earned ten minutes. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful and very little have authority over ten cities. Whoa. And the second came, Master, your minute has earned five minutes. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your minute which I have kept put away in the handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, this is the nobleman, in reply, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? that at my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, 
Take the minute from him and give it to him who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he's already got ten minutes. For I say to you and to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Wow. Help us, Lord. This story obviously represents more than just money. The sheer amount of money that has been distributed to the 10 servants is colossal. We're talking, we're talking probably around uh, $180,000 in today's in New Zealand currency, somewhere around that amount of money. And they're given this with the command, do business till I come. And so the minas are symbolic of our life, the stewardship of our life. I'm giving you time. What is time? Time is a boundary in which opportunities exist. Time is a finite boundary. You have time today because you're here and you're breathing. Because you're breathing today, you have been allotted time. No man knows how much time we've all been given. We all know of sudden deaths. So I've, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you talent. I'm going to give you various abilities to do with what I've entrusted to you in order to gain something. And I'm giving you treasure. I'm giving you resources in which I want you to put to work. Three things. Time, talent, and treasures. Can I hear an amen in the house this morning? So these represent our life. I have a old $20 bill. You like the new bills? They're quite cool, aren't they? This here, if you want to, if you want to know that if this represents your life, just think about it for a moment. By the sweat of your brow, this week, you are going to go to work. And in exchange for your time and your talents, you will be given hopefully more than this. <laughs> hopefully more than this on an hourly rate. In Jesus' name. Get ready for a promotion. So this, does this represent your life? Yes, it does. Because in exchange for your time and talents, you are exchanged and you are given money, which represents the sweat of your brow, you are exchanged and you are given this. This represents our whole life we work for this stuff. Now, this isn't the object of our work, but we are given to this. So this is a representation of our lives today. And Jesus says to the servants, do business till I come. So this isn't a story about our worth. They're all given the same amount of money. This is a story about our value to the kingdom of God. Remember, different ones are going to receive different rewards. What are they going to receive rewards based on? Based on the value that they generated and gained for the kingdom of God, rewards will be dispersed. And if you don't believe me, we'll find another chance, an opportunity. Maybe Pastor Greg's already preached on it. But take a look at 1 Corinthians 3, which is none other than the judgment seat of Christ, where every person who's ever received Jesus will have to stand before Jesus on their own and give an account of how they have lived their lives as a Christian. 
And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, some of those Christians will suffer loss. But they will get to heaven even as one escaping through the flames. What flames? The flames and the fire of God's judgment. It says, if you have added and gained and traded and invested with your life, and in return you have gold, silver, and precious stones, when the fire hits the gold, silver, and precious stones, they're not going to melt. They're going to stand the heat of God's judgment. But if you've fooled around with your life, if you've mucked around with your life, if you've never given any serious thought of living your life for Jesus since receiving him, the Bible says the fire will burn up that which is wood, hay, and straw, and there'll only be ashes left. You will make it to heaven, but the Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians 3, you will suffer loss of reward. So therefore, heaven is not a place of equal opportunity. I thought we were all just going to be chilling out. Relaxing in the presence of God for eternity, forever and ever. No, friends, why would Jesus say, I'm going to give you the responsibility of looking and ruling over 10 cities? Because, friends, guess what? If you're responsible now, there's going to be responsibilities given to you in heaven. Eternity is going to carry responsibility. That's why life on earth is a training ground for eternity. We're actually training for reigning. For ruling and reigning with Christ. Life is a preparation for eternity. Some of you are looking at me cross-eyed this morning. I have many different tools in my toolbox. Some of them cost the same amount of money. Their worth is equal, but I want to tell you something. There's some tools in my toolbox I use a lot more because they have a lot more value than some of the other ones. This isn't a parable about our worth. This is a parable about our value added to the kingdom here and in eternity. Wow. And as we take some of this stuff in this morning... What I want you to realize is, is that when you catch a glimpse of this in your spirit, then this will determine in your heart that you've got to live life differently here and now because there's so much leverage on your life lived today for Jesus and how you will spend eternity. Friends, I want to tell you, Jesus' work at the cross gained your access to heaven. It was freely given to you. By grace we are saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. By grace we're saved through faith. Not of your works. In other words, you couldn't gain access to heaven by anything. that You could have been the best goody two-shoes, the teacher's pet. You could have done everything you possibly know. But the Bible says, still... In the light of God's judgment, your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. You're not going to make it by your own merit. So God says, I'm going to send my son. He's going to shed his blood. And if you believe in the finished work of the cross, you have access to eternity with God forever and ever. So he says, do business. There's business to be done here on earth, friends. The Lord's business is a special business. 
that reaps eternal rewards. The cross gives you access to eternity, but how you live your life now will determine how eternity is going to be for you. You see, at any time in history that God wants to get something done, listen to this carefully. Any time in history of man, in the time that the nobleman is away receiving his kingdom, and he wants to get some business done, he has to borrow your time, he has to borrow your talents, and he has to borrow your treasure to get the work done. In other words, what he's given to you is on loan from him. But at any point in time, he wants to do something with what he's given to you. He's going to come to you and he's going to say, Viv, I'm going to borrow that talent that I've given to you because I need to use it for the building of my kingdom. And I want to do business with your talent today. I want you to freely offer it to me and come in a spirit of submission to my son so that I can use that talent to build my kingdom. You've got treasures that God has deposited with you. Some of you have had a head start in life. Some of you are standing on top of the shoulders of the previous generation, and you have been endowed with great treasure, material treasure. God says that's not just for you to enjoy. He says, I want to borrow some of that treasure to build my kingdom. I want to do something in history. Will you lend me your treasure? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So the Lord is actively seeking people who will willingly give their time, their talent, and their treasure for building the kingdom of God. Can he find such a person at the rock this morning? Are there servants in the rock this morning that are doing business for the kingdom of God? They're not holding on tight-fisted. When the Lord wants to interrupt your schedule, he says, no, I don't want you to go home now. I want you to go and visit so-and-so. And you knock on the door and you get round there and you find out that they've been contemplating suicide. But because you, you willingly gave your time to the Lord, he said, I'll come and borrow that time. It might be inconvenient times, but I'm going to come in and intercept that person from the suicide plan of their life. And I want to interject you into that house to change the course of that person's life. God is looking for a people whose heart is loyal to you. God is banking on you with what he left behind to you. God is banking on you what he left behind to you. What he has entrusted you to utilize it to do business till he comes again. But aren't we saved by grace through faith? Friends, I've already quoted to you to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I want to go to verse 10. This is the immediate verse in context to what we understand about being saved by grace. So Ephesians 2, verse 10. Take a look at this verse right now. It says, for we are his workmanship. Literally, poem written by God in the original Greek. You are God's poem that he's created for eternity. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand, another translation says, which God prepared in advance that we should. Everybody say should, please. That we should. I want you to park on that word for a moment because it's going to come up at the end of the message. That we should walk in them. So the Bible says that we've been saved by grace, not by works, but we've been saved by grace to do good works. What's a good work, friends? Here's a definition of a good work. Things that we do for God's glory to advance God's kingdom that benefits others in God's name. That's what a good work is. It's not just opening an op shop and giving clothing people for a couple of dollars because you decided that was a good thing to do. It's when you get linked with Christ and Christ is in you and the life of Christ flows through you and you understand this gracious work of the cross in your life that out of relationship you begin to be notified, notified by the Spirit of God of these amazing good works that you are called to do, things for God's glory to advance God's kingdom for the benefit of others in God's name. One of the most famous verses in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven today. That is the calling of every single believer. In other words, your example And the good works that you're walking, that God has created in advance for you to do, as you do them, the world will sit up and take notice because they can see the glory of the Father shining through your life. Wow. So, he nips in the bud the immediacy of this mindset and thinking. And he says, I'm calling you to be a steward for the kingdom of God. What's the role of a steward? The role of a steward is to protect what has been entrusted to you, but not only protect it with a conservative mindset, but to expand the assets of another. You are not a good steward if you simply just give back what's been entrusted to you. This parable makes that very clear. The guy that had 10 wrapped it in a handkerchief. He said, here's my religion. Wrapped in a a hanky. Here's my weekly attendance at church. Here's the giving of my tithes at church. Wrapped in a handkerchief. I bring it, I give it back to you. I haven't lost anything, but I haven't gained anything. You see, the role of a steward is not is to protect what's been given to you, but it's to expand the assets of another. Wow. That gives a bit of a different light, doesn't it? So the citizens hated him. The Jews rejected him. Praise God. The Bible says there's coming a revival in Jerusalem. Can't wait to see that happen. And then verse 15, he came back, and the Bible says here, he wanted to know much how every man had gained by trading. This is Luke 19, verse 15. What every man had gained by trading. In other words, there was an expectation that what he's given you, your time, your talent, and your treasures, there is a plus coming out of your life. He didn't say to come and see what they'd done. 
He said, I'm coming back to see what you've gained. So the heart of the question today is not what did you do for you? The heart of this question is what, what did you do with what was mine? Anybody squirming in their seat yet? <laughs> I'm squirming in my shoes. What did you do with what was on loan to you? Now, I want you to imagine, friends, today, for a moment, that you've been saving for 10 years to buy a house. In Auckland, that would be 20 years to buy a house. All right, plus. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But you've been saving for 10 years. You've two salaries, saving off, shaving off 10%, putting it into the savings account every time you get paid, and you've got a nice little nest egg there now. You've got 20 grand sitting there, and then one day in your savings account, the bank rings you. And the bank says, I'm sorry, Mr. Anson. Uh, we, we've just got a, a, a bad report to give to you. The boys from the bank took some of your money to Sky City on the weekend. And they, they went and they played blackjack and they lost your 20 grand. And we just want to tell you that I'm really sorry that we've lost what you put in the bank. <laughs> Friends, it doesn't take a rocket scientist what I'm about to say, does it? <laughs> in the same way, Christ has invested time, talent, and treasure into our lives. He's not coming back for a loss, friends. He's coming back to see what you've gained in building the kingdom here. And not only that, understand this, that eternity is truly, is truly going to reward those who have invested and gained by doing business for the kingdom of God, for trading their time, talent, and treasures to build the kingdom, doing God's business. This is what I believe, friends. Many of us who stand up here are going to be shocked when we stand up there to find out who's receiving rewards and who's suffering loss. Because there's many hidden heroes in the body of Christ and heroines in the body of Christ that you'll never see up here on stage, but they're doing business for the king. They're trading time, talent, and treasures and God knows what he's invested in them, and they have an intimacy, they have a relationship with Christ that is causing that gain, and, and eternity will reveal that to us, friends. For example, friends, if you want to get on this great worship team up here, and you want to be on here, uh, you, want to, you don't want to stand up here like Natasha was this morning, standing up here with the microphone, front of stage, everybody can see you. You want to be up there because you want the church to hear your great voice. They need to hear your talent. They need to see what God has endowed you with, that they can be wowed at the perfect pitch and tone of your voice. Friends, guess what? That will be your reward. But if you want to get up here because you know that God has given you a talent musically 
And you want to get up here because your heart is that you long to see the presence and the power of Christ come and that the saints of God would be touched by the Holy Ghost every time the church gathers together because you know it's not about you, but it is what God's given to you to contribute for his glory. Friends, then you may know that there could be eternal rewards coming your way. One's gold, silver, and precious stones. The other one is wood, hay, and straw. And the fire of God will reveal it. So the first one comes back. I've gained 10 more. Amen. Verses 16 and 17. He says, well done. Good servant. You've been faithful with what I've given to you. Have authority over 10 cities. And so the master actually comments, well done. I want you to notice the next servant. He doesn't say, well done, good servant. He's commending the one that has the 100% gain. He's done business for the kingdom. He's participated in God's rule here on earth. And as a result, God says, because I could trust you with the little I've given to you down here, in eternity, you're going to have great. I, I, I had a guy come and see me and he says, but you know, what if you're just a chilled out person? You know, you're not really worried about, you know, having rule over 10 cities. Having rule over one city would freak you out, you know. What is that all about? I just want to, you know, I just want to chill, I'm, you know. You know, I, I'm not really motivated. You know, we shouldn't be motivated by rewards anyway because it's all about loving God, you know. And so we understand this, but friends, you've got to understand the apostle and whom, loved Je- and Jesus, whom Jesus loved and whom loved Jesus, he's the one that says, look out for yourselves, that you don't lose the reward, the full reward of what Christ has for you. Because as you're about to see at the end of this message, eternity is a very, very long time. Notice the second servant. Master, your minna. He's got it in his head. Your minna. Not mine. When we lose sight of what we have and we think it belongs to us, guess who's the master? You're the master. He's not the master. So when you understand the concept of protecting and the, and the concept of expanding the stewardship of Christ over your life, then we're starting to talk business for the kingdom this morning. The third servant comes. Notice he's using the right Christianese. Master. He's got the lingo. He's got the words. Master, here is your minna, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. Friends, he speaks Christianese. He knows the lingo. He knows the right words to say, but he has screwed up theology that has caused him to live his life inaccurately. And as a result, the Bible says he suffers the loss of reward. And I want you to notice, friends, something that is so clear in this passage of Scripture that will resonate with this house. Do you know why he never did anything? you know why he just wrapped it up and kept it for the day for the master to return? It's because he had a wrong concept of who God was. He thought God was austere. Do you know what the word austere means? It means stern, severe, or harsh. Now, some of you have grown up with a parent who's been very stern severe, or maybe even harsh. 
I want to ask you something today. How hard as a child was it to get close to your mother or father when they were stern, severe, or harsh? Very hard to get intimacy with somebody who's stern, severe, or harsh, an austere personality. Yes, God will give, God will make, he will make sure that account is made over your lives. But Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to be your companion. Jesus wants you to understand the heart of the Father, what it means to be a son who grows up in his house. And so if your description of Papa, if your description of Abba, Daddy, is one of austereness, austerity, then friends, you need to rethink your theology because the theology of this guy wasn't working for him. And I want to ask you a question. Why do you think it was that he didn't put his money in the bank? Knowing that the nobleman said, I will come again to see what you've gained. They all knew that. He never even put it in the bank to get interest. Because maybe, friends, he understood that banks keep records. And when you have a record, that means you have to give an account of what's been put in the bank. Maybe he was thinking, if the master doesn't return, then there's no tracing what's been given to me. I can live how I like, when I like, and I'll still have the 10 minutes. Because in his mind, he thought they were his, not on loan from him. Friends, this guy, how many of you are employers here today? Can I see any hands of employers in the house today? You employ people? All right. Okay, how do you feel if somebody turns up to work and their comment is, well, at least I'm here? (laughs) They're not doing squat anything, but their boast is, well, at least I turn up to work. Man, (laughs) you all know how long that guy's going to last on the job. And in the same way Jesus was saying to this guy, you call me master, but your words betray your actions. Your theology of calling me Lord or master has not affected the way that you have lived your life. I want to quickly go as I finish this message to Luke 14, verse 12 and 14, because I want to talk to you about motivations of your heart as we finish this message. Luke 14, verse 12, then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite who? The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed. Why will you be blessed? Because they cannot repay you. They don't have the ability to trade back the favor. We're classic as Kiwis. There's that, you know, old mama there in the kitchen. And, you know, you get invited out and they put on a fancy. Danny, Danielle put on a great meal for us last night. It was like I was at the Simnor restaurant of Wellington. Beautiful meal. But us Kiwis, our mindset is, well, Come on, honey, we need to think back when we can, when we can invite the Simnors back to our place, you know, and, and, you know, trade meal for meal. Jesus says, I don't want you to invite the people who can repay you. I want you to invite the ones that don't have the ability to do so. Why? Look at this. This is a killer verse. 
For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Listen to this carefully. If you don't hear anything else in this message today, listen to this. God gives credit for what you do in his name for his kingdom to benefit others when you do not require anything in return. What God gives us credit for, friends, for what we do in this life for his name for the good of others, you can expect payment from him, but don't expect payment from others. That's why, friends, and you think about this. That's why, because most of us would know what I'm about to say to you is true. You've experienced it. You bent over backwards for somebody. You went out of your way. There wasn't one word of thanks. There wasn't one word of return and gratitude. And your attitude was not matching your gratitude. (laughs) And you were thinking, what the heck, Flip? I'm not going to ever do anything for them again because they're just ungrateful. Friends, I want to ask you, who were you doing it for in the first place? People can flip the bird at you. (laughs) They can do all sorts of things at you when you have bent over backwards for them. But if you're not doing it for them, but you're doing it for him, it doesn't matter. You can go again and again and again by grace. You can keep on giving out to people because your reward shall be given at the resurrection of the just. Your reward is not here and now, but it will come to you in eternity. I'm preaching myself silly this morning. You see, friends... Deception will always enter our lives when we will not take into light that this present life is going to determine how we will live in eternity. I want you to note something that's pretty freaky, especially for those of us who like to keep good face with others. Verse 24 says this, when he determined the judgment on the third servant, and he said, take away what's been given to him and give it to the guy who's already got 10. All of those of you that have fairness and justice in your mind, you're thinking, this is a ripoff. Can't he be just a bit more fair with this guy? And the thing, you see, the thing is, is that The Bible says in verse 24 of Luke 19, and he said to those who stood by, are you trying to tell me, James, that when I stand before the noblemen of heaven, that there's going to be others standing by watching the account of my life? Yes, there is. And none of them can interject for you or on your behalf Whatsoever, you will stand alone before the judgment seat of Christ. Give to the one who already has, for even what he has will be taken away from him. He did not protect the asset. He did not expand the asset. And what was given to him was taken away from him. You know, at the end of my life, I got saved at the age of 20 years old. Saved out of a pretty horrible lifestyle. 
I was a real mess when I came to Christ. I'm still a mess in many ways, but God's working on me. (sighs) Which my wife will gladly testify of. (laughs) But listen, I'm 52 years old. Let's say I make it to 70 if the Lord doesn't, if the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back because things are hot enough on this planet, friends. I don't know if you noticed lately, there's a whole lot of stuff. There's crazy people around in power. We won't mention any names this morning. Crazy people in power and there's all sorts of loose, loose as a goose stuff going on with big red buttons ready to be pushed at any point in time that can obliterate this planet. There's no doubt in my mind, friends, that we are coming down near the close of the curtain of the end of the age, closing down on this planet. And that motivates me even more to serve my Jesus with the minutes, the time, the talent, the treasures that's been given to me in my life. Because I understand I will have to face. And Jesus is going to say, James, I gave you 70 years of life, 50 years of those you served my son. I'm going to ask you to give an account of what you did with those 50 years of your life. And you will either suffer loss or you will be rewarded accordingly. Heaven is a place of responsibility. God's not going to put us through trials. He's not going to allow us to go through the tragedies that many of our lives and the pain that we've suffered in many of our lives that it won't be used for his glory in eternity? Some of us hate the idea of responsibility in heaven, responsibility in eternity. Friends, what do you think you're being trained for, just to kick back in the lazy boy for eternity? Can I just have, can I, my beautiful assistant, could you please bring? <laughs> All right. I borrowed this off Greg last night. Let's hope I don't get it tangled up. Here we go, I think. All right. Beautiful assistant, could you please just come? Now, I want you just to unravel. I will hold this end. Just, just let it... Yes, and just walk across to the door over there. Thank you. Now, as, as she unravels eternity... Not as she's been unraveled in eternity, but as she <laughs> unravels eternity, I want you to just focus on me for a minute. The yellow is represented by eternity. The red is represented by your possible 70 years of your life. I want to tell you that eternity is a long, long, long time. It's called forever and ever, world without end. Amen. How you live, eternity is going to be determined by what you do in the red zone. What you do in the red zone is going to determine what's going to happen with your life in eternity. My question to you today, friends, is how are you going to use it? Could we bow our heads in a word of prayer? Father, I love this church. I love your appointed apostles and pastors and leaders in this church. 
And I thank you for the deep work that's been going on in this church. But Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt that there is business that needs to be done. There are talents, there's time and there's treasures that are going to be traded for eternal rewards that are going to come out of this church. And eternity will be the true revealer of the true work of grace that's done at the rock. And my prayer today, Lord, is is that we would catch a glimpse of living our lives in light of eternity this morning. That it would change the way that we're living today. That would cause us to be eager and fervent and zealous in the things of God. Lord, it was said about you, the zeal of your house has consumed me. It's eaten me up. The rewards are great. But so is the suffering of loss of reward. And I'm praying for every person here today, those that are listening on the internet, those that are listening by MP3. I'm praying today, Lord, that our lives would come under the fresh microscope of the Holy Spirit and that a new work of grace can begin in our hearts today. And I'm I'm praying today, Lord, for an expansion of assets at the rock, an expansion of time, talent, and treasure. On behalf of the master, working with them with a theology of intimacy and a work of grace that spurs us to do good works that have been prepared in advance for us to walk in. Lord, you said in Scripture, works prepared beforehand that we should walk in, not would walk in because should implies the power of free will. You have a plan of good works for us to walk in, that we should walk in, but whether we do or not is up to us. So I'm praying today we will walk in those things.